Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Way, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello and welcome to Galactica Actually. I am Jamie Smith and joining me is my co-host, A. Diallo Jackson. Howdy, how are you doing this week? I'm good. Happy Colonial Today, Day. Oh, <laughs> Colonial Day. <laughs> it's like their 4th of July. Yeah, yeah. Ron Moore said. Yeah. <laughs> so, spoilers, we will be talking about Season 1, Episode 11, Colonial Day. Um, Ron Moore described this as their West Wing episode in his podcast. Did you ever watch the West Wing? No, I never watched West Wing. I've seen the pilot, and it is pretty good, but it was years after and a little daunting mm. knowing I had to have to catch up with 12 seasons or however long it was on. So There were six so, seasons. Uh, it seems like it was on for 20. Maybe I'm confusing it with <laughs> ER. But everyone highly recommended I. I believe everyone when they say it's so good. It is very good. It is a liberal's fantasy (laughs) of politics for sure. But um, that show actually helped me understand politics a little bit more because I was like 22 or 23 or something like that when it came Mm -hmm. out. And at the time, I'd like barely paid attention to politics. I voted against W and thought he stole the election. I voted for Clinton. Mm -hmm. But like beyond that, I didn't really pay attention to what was going on or how any of it really worked. And I started watching that show because I liked Aaron Sorkin's stuff. Probably specifically a few good men made me really want to watch the West Wing. Mm, So I watched the pilot when it aired and I remember calling my dad and telling him like, Oh, you should really check out this show. It's really good. And that sort of became our show that we would talk about every week when we had our weekly phone conversations. Mm, So, um, it's, it's very good. I don't know how well it holds up anymore because I know it is very, it skews very much to my sensibilities. So of course I think it's good, but (laughs) politics aside, it's a very well-written show. If you like what Aaron Sorkin does, yeah, which for the most part I do, I think he's a little questionable now, but the West Wing, I always... I loved, I loved what he did on that. So I understand, you know, in 2003 or 2004 when they were making this show saying like, yeah, we should, we 
this is our West Wing episode. We're going to deal with the politics and President Rosalind and vice presidents and all that stuff. And I see what they were trying to do. Yeah, it sounds like Ron, I mean, even Ron Moore talks about it. And that that was their, you know, they, they set out to do that. But he he was given the impression he knows that they fell short of that. Um, but you definitely get to see the world of politics through Laura Rosalind's eyes uh, mm-hmm. for a change. And I noticed at the beginning, I've been noticing, I mean, obviously everyone listening probably knows this, but um, uh, at the beginning of every episode, when they say previously on Battlestar Galactica, there's like, there's always like a different person. And I kind of noticed it's wh- whoever's being kind of featured at the beginning of that episode is the one that says it. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not notice yeah. that. Yeah. So this time it was Laura. I think, uh, I think Tie Me Up, like, don't quote me, um, I think Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down was Colonel Ty, um, you know. Sometimes. Yeah, I think you're right about that because I remember thinking, like, oh, that's that's Michael Hogan. Yeah, and then Baltar, I think, was uh, whatever, couple, um, hmm. some episode before. So, anyway, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. So, yeah, like, the fact that she spoke at the beginning of this one definitely lends itself to that idea that this is uh, all about her perspective of things. Yeah. In my um, official, unofficial, official companion, she says um, that this episode was a long time coming. It was rather frustrating for me to have to go that many episodes before the politics of Laura's world could begin to materialize. I understood why in the world of Battlestar Galactica that was going to take a bit of time, but it was very hard for me to not have a West Wing in space episode because that's Laura's job after all. That's interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But she also said that if they had done it sooner... Like, that she's glad they waited so long because by the time this episode hits, she has sort of settled into her role as the president a little bit better than earlier on. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't think that Laura would have been able to get past her personal distrust or dislike of Baltar at the start of the season. Yeah. Yeah, it was because I, it's a part of this episode I was a little struck by um, was how, you know, when she goes to Baltar and we saw her four three or four episodes prior where she was like i don't trust you and well i think she still doesn't trust him but she is a political um not motivator she but she's that was politically motivated oh yeah absolutely like seeing how how well he does with the public yeah and how good he is being interviewed and that charm that he has that sort of commands a room when he wants to turn it on Mm -hmm. that's exactly that kind of charisma is what you need when you're up against someone who has a better shot than the guy that everybody's calling a fatuous gas bag (laughs) at the beginning of the episode you know well it was it was uh i mean that to me that was apparent but it was when I thought I was thinking back to that scene when Baltar is in the in the brig and Rosalind kind of confronts him and just the fact that she it wasn't just that you know she was just like I know you have something to do with um the world ending and so that was pretty that's a pretty high thing to just sort of 
later be like uh be my vice president but um like as you said like there was some time in between that um and she wasn't sure and so there was time for that to soften from then to now so yeah so we start out with this emergence of our fleet media the colonial gang which maybe they could have workshopped that name a little bit more. <laughs> it's not a great name. It was so official. It was weird. Yeah. And they even had, like, their microphone has their little logo yeah. on it. Like, who, who made that? <laughs> I don't want to side with Tom Zarek. <laughs> But he made some good points later. Uh, he did. I actually, uh, when we get there, I actually was kind of like, wait a minute. <laughs> and and part of that is, who's making the little logo for your microphone? Because <laughs> it, anyway, there are three, there are three journalists here. They say they are the last remaining legitimate journalists in the universe. <laughs> we have... James McManus of the Caprica Times, Playa Palacios from the Picon Star Tribune, and Seku Hamilton from the Aralon Gazette. And here's, here's a way you can really understand where these three people stand. Playa is 100% in the bag for Rosalind. McManus thinks everyone Rosalind has chosen for the quorum is a Rosalind crony. And Hamilton objects to this because the delegates haven't even been chosen yet. So then McManus says, oh, then everyone she chooses will be a lackey orchestrated by someone. And this is all orchestrated by someone we've never heard of before this episode, Wallace Gray. Then Playa doesn't think Wallace is bad. And Hamilton thinks he's helped keep things running. And McManus thinks he's a fatuous gas bag. So, one of them, I say Playa is probably CNN. Maybe, no, Playa is probably MSNBC. <laughs> yes, yeah, she seems MSNBC. And <laughs> Hamilton is CNN, and McManus is Fox News. <laughs> so that's, where we're, that's what we're dealing with here. But they all work for the same network because we only have the one network, and they're the only legitimate journalists in the galaxy. Yeah. And God forbid somebody wrote for a blog or whatever, like they're not going to get a job in this gang. And Ron Moore talks about how how they've been playing the press on the show, which is, you know, I never really, really thought about it. I just assumed there obviously would be, you know, reporters mixed in with the survivors. But, like, pointedly, it's because the Battlestar Galactica was being decommissioned, so there was already going to be a ton of press there. So mm-hmm. that's why they have such a robust... Uh, you know, news network feel. So who are all these other people that are always in the sort of press conferences that Rosalind has on Colonial One if these three are the only legitimate journalists? He he actually – it's funny. Ron Moore actually did say that. He's like, I think we might sometimes press a little too hard by having too many people there. <laughs> um but he he also said part of that was just sort of like for a visual language to like convey that idea to people visually while they're watching, even though it doesn't necessarily like that doesn't necessarily track. Mm-hmm. And then also them saying that like they're if they're the last 
legit journalists. I mean, that's that could just be ego. Like, <laughs> I, yeah. Well, I think it's because of um, where they worked. You know, he's he's from the Caprica Times. She's from. She was a veteran commentator for the Picon Star Tribune, and Hamilton was a former editor of the Aralong Gazette. So they. They're old media. They worked for newspapers, which makes them legitimate journalists. Playa definitely gets the scoop. Oh, sure. Oh. She sure does. So. <laughs> <laughs> the things that they're saying in this this initial scene, if you really dig into it, it sounds so familiar and... We are 20 years out from this, and they're still saying this kind of crap on our news today, where one person is like, no, I think, I think this, and the other person's like, no, it's a puppet quorum, like, you know, it's just, it's hilarious. We've come no steps forward. <laughs> yeah, so two, kind of two things related to what you're talking about, again, uh, in the um, commentary, Ron Moore, I don't know if he was this particular area, he was talking about something else, but he was talking about how we, like, the slide toward fascism um, yeah. that the United States was, yeah. kind of, was making. But he was talking about it from 2004 perspective, yeah. which was interesting. I also um, yeah. kind of sat up a little bit and was like, oh, shit. Because he was right, because he was talking about in 2004, like, at the time when he did that commentary, they were still working on season two. They hadn't started filming Mm -hmm. anything. They were still writing it. So he's, you know, really contemporary for that time, saying these things that have happened have shades of authoritarianism. And if we keep going in this direction, that's what we're heading for. And here I am in 2023 just being like, well, shit. (laughs) Yeah. And then and then and then like kind of related to that, um, you know, I was kind of thinking how this this is what the show does is like I think it rings true all the time because it. It's just sort of like a big showcase of the human condition. And yeah. so, like, all of these things can happen across thousands and thousands of years with all the different civilizations. And, like, earlier this morning, I was having a conversation with a friend just, like, kind of about um, America. And I, I think, like, some people think that, like, America is going to last forever. And I'm, I was just kind of like, yeah, like, empires rise and fall. So why would do you think this particular endeavor is going to be eternal? But it's just like we're if we're just like a piece of the history, and but there's always like these motions of people that like act the same way in those situations. So you're always going to have these people that are like we're always going to slide towards fascism. We're always going to slide toward like being too bloated. We're always going to have the empire be overextended and then. And then crumble, and then something else comes up out of that. 
like whether it's the Roman Empire, the British Empire, whatever it is. In this particular case, it's the uh, colonials. Yeah. <laughs> and they collapse because of what they've done, right? So Yeah, and there's the, the added aspect of, you know, all of this has happened before, all of it will happen again. But then later in the series, you really start to see, like, no, literally, you've done this before. Yeah. And it, it didn't work a number of times. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do differently? And oh, you're at the part when they're, they're making that choice, right? Where you're, I'm where done. you're watching. I've, I've, oh, okay, you finished. Yeah, it. I finished. And yeah. I really – this is why I find this show so rewarding because you can watch it over and over again. And depending on what's going on in your life or what has happened since the last time you watched it, you might see things with a different perspective than the other times you've watched the show. So I always mm -hmm. liked the finale. I always did. Yeah. But this time, there were certain things that Lee Adama said that I was like, yeah, you know what, Lee? You're absolutely right. That I maybe had a harder time thinking, like, is that the right move to give up all your technology? But no, he was right. That was right. I mean, we still end up here, you know? I mean, I never had a problem. with. I know some people that had a problem with that, but I was like, well, they... It was the finale, so they didn't have enough time to, like, ha they would have been a whole other episode of them having to, like, um, you know, just have all these discussions to get to this conclusion. But it made sense, like, if you watch the whole show, yeah, he's basically saying, like, the worst things that we've ever gone through has resulted out of technology. So let's get rid of it. Right. And, and it, it does yeah. make sense. And I never, I was never like, what a stupid decision. Why is anybody listening to Lee? I just, as somebody who, like, I, I don't like the outdoors. I like technology. <laughs> it just seems like, like, would I really want to give up the ability to travel in space? Yeah. But, yes. If it meant getting rid of fascism, sure. Let's start yeah. over. Um, so, while these... While these reporters are having their little debate, Rosalind is listening and making her own commentary and grumbling about freedom of press. And I would say, Rosalind, please check yourself. <laughs> yeah. I love that line, actually. Yeah. It's so, so contradictory to, you know, it's to what she kind of stands for yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah. Like, I was just like, ooh, yikes. And then... Wallace Gray comes in, you know, fatuous gas bag would like a five minutes of your time. So it turns out that they know each other. I don't know exactly what his job is. It's, yeah, they, I don't think they ever really say. He just, he's, he sounded like he was like a guy that steps in. Yeah, he's been sort of like, people are upset about something or another, and he sort of goes out and like settles that and mm -hmm. makes everybody happy he's like a conciliator is that a word mm -hmm. whatever um <laughs> facilitator maybe sure <laughs> and they are discussing that um sagitaron has chosen tom zarek to be a delegate for their interim quorum of 12 super sketch just like the sign <laughs> i don't know that much about I don't either. I'm just, I'm just being sad. I, have, I actually have no idea. <laughs> I just know people get super like opinionated when it comes to people's signs, and so yeah. I was, but I really only know I about my own because I'm a Scorpio push. and we're selfish. 
So, obviously, Rosalind is not feeling great about this. They're talking about how he's a terrorist and Gray says he blew up a government building and now he's going to sit on the Quorum of Twelve. And Adama calls and is like, are you listening to this? And she's like, there's nothing we can do about it. I'm not going to turn him into a martyr. Sagittarian law allows a prisoner to regain his citizenship once he's served his time. And Adama's like, nah, I'm going to bar him from traveling to Cloud Nine on that basis alone. And she's like, yeah, uh, no. I, and she says she doesn't need her own personal goon squad and that they need to let this play out. So everybody's all about democracy until somebody comes up that they don't like. <laughs> which you know we're still that way but so i you know if we're going to talk about recent history like i can see both sides of this <laughs> did we really want trump could we have just shut him up and not been put into the position that we've been in maybe well, that's why i that's why i like that freedom of the press line she gives because like uh you know it was Obviously, we don't want to suspend that freedom, but on a personal level, you do get annoyed, and sometimes you're like, "Ah, oh, man, I just wish they could just shut up," you know. Yeah. So it it rang true, even though she was never going to actually do that. So yeah, I get it, and we all like, yeah, we all we all have like our um, areas of hypocrisy mm-hmm. when it comes to certain things. So yeah, it's like I might. Uh, I might des- I might necessarily agree with an ideal, but then like sometimes you it gets called into question. And again, that's why I think these like so sci-fi has been really good at that because it's sort of like a test bed to explore how when certain ideals are put under pressure, how you can navigate those moments that aren't so clean. So yeah, the show's really this show's really good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, hope the idea though is hopefully you learn from that, so that you move into real life and you can kind of replicate it without drama. Um, but I don't think we're really good at that. No, part. not at all. Yeah. Since there are people who who look at like new Star Trek shows and I go, "Oh my God, Star Trek is woke." <laughs> it's like, what have you been watching for seventy years? Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so I've been watching the, uh, you know, I've been watching the old Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. and okay, I keep writing, I, I keep thinking, this show's so woke. <laughs> <laughs> There's, like, the whole, like, all the, the players are multicultural, like, the first few episodes, like, like uh, all these pilots are sick, so they had to train new pilots, and they're all women, <laughs> and I'm just like... This is like 1979, and I'm like, this, this show was on now. They would like people would be flipping yeah. out. Like Colonel Ty is black, and you know, like it's just you know. I know I'm it's just... like nobody wants to look back at anything from before. They all want to believe that everything was like happy days. <laughs> that that's what the world was, and then all yeah. of a sudden in 2020, we're like, no, we're gonna just acknowledge that people of color exist and suddenly like that just cannot stand i just don't understand it i don't understand it yeah it's it. pretty wild it's so wild uh yeah so zarek is making his statement 
he's humbled, he's moved by this great honor, he'll be a voice for those who have gone too long unheard, blah, blah, blah. He's, he's just such a martyr about everything. But he's also not entirely wrong. And I think that's why it, it, he works as a vice president later a little mm-hmm. bit better until mm-hmm. it doesn't. Because he might have the right ideas, but he never has the right execution of those ideas. He always takes everything to the extreme. Yeah, they, I had a bunch of thoughts about him. Um, he's a he's a hard one to pin down because if if we didn't if we didn't have the viewer's perspective of him, I might find myself behind the things he stands for on the ostensibly on the surface as well mm-hmm. but we also like but he's like he has no problem turning a corner and doing something like super shady and like not a political maneuvering but like murder yeah. <laughs> you know um he blew up a building right? right so that's just kind of where his that's where he's at and so yeah it the way he he plays everything so straight all the time and then but then he has these moments where like you see the deviousness it's like i don't know if he's like a socio sociopath i guess he had he'd have to be to blow up a building but did you watch poker face no i did not i did not see okay so i don't i won't spoil anything but there's an episode where she like is working at like a nursing home and meets these Two people who, um, it turned out in the 70s, were part of some kind of political movement. Not really political, but, like, I don't want to say they were, like, it was, like, equivalent to, like, say, the Black Panthers. But -hmm. not the Black Panthers. But, like, that kind of, like, anti-establishment, gotta do these things to, like, show the government that they're doing the wrong thing. And when you meet these two people everything they're saying just makes a lot of sense. And then Mm -hmm. later you find out how they actually did the things they did, and you're like, oh, wait, but that's fucked up. You were blowing up schools? Like, how does that help things? Yeah. So, and, and, but you meet these two people before you learn all of that, and you hear their ideas, and they're funny, and they're charming, these, like, old people that, like, oh my god, back in the 70s, like, wow, you were a badass. And you just think they're amazing until you dig deeper. And I feel like Tom's Eric is that too. Everything he's saying makes sense. But he doesn't want to actually go through the established system to make changes. He wants to destroy the established system because he thinks his his ideas are better. He's sort of like the danger of... I don't know if you've ever like read the Communist Manifesto or anything, but it's like on I, like on paper that on paper it all sounds fine, but like being enacted is always kind of gets it gets a little perverted because humans get involved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's all and it's yeah, it's like the it's like the downside of that. Like he, he he's the cautionary tale, you know. Yeah. Like yeah, the stuff he's talking about like sounds good, but you know those those types always tend to go too far and then it becomes like it just becomes something completely different um and not what it was intended to like what they set out yeah for it to be because like on paper communism sounds good yeah but 
every communist regime that I've seen evidence of, they're not doing what I thought communism meant. Right, because human, like I said, it doesn't ever, it doesn't ever in, take into account human nature, right? Which is terrible. So yeah. it's sort of like, I guess, like if if it was run by robots or something, it would be different. But like, you know, but it's like humans are we're like we're selfish. We we like we murder. Like you know, we're jealous. Like all of those things come into play when it when those. Like when you take any political system, I, that's why I think like capitalism actually actually works mostly because it's kind of built on selfishness. Yeah, but capitalism <laughs> so, like, is terrible too. Even though right, no, I'm, I'm not part of it and I yeah. um, benefit from it, I still think that it is out of control and damaging. Right, but that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. Like it, it works, not that it's. Like it, not that it's good, but I think it, it actually plugs into our selfishness, <laughs> and yeah. I think that's why it works. Like you know, as opposed to so some of these other systems that people talk about, like uh, like again on paper they sound great, um, but you know, like I look at Star Wars or Star Trek. I'm sorry, Star Trek a lot, and like the society that, that they have doesn't have at least the Federation doesn't use money, right? But it also only really works because they have no scarcity. And so as soon as you introduce that concept of scarcity, whether it's scarcity of uh, food, like any resources, energy, then all of a sudden it would totally change the dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're able to be this communist utopia society in Star Trek, but only because there's enough for everybody. Um, But... So they can they can sort of like look past their human impulses yeah. um, to be in that situation. But where we sit right now, we like like we might be getting close to a era where we don't have any scarcity, but there still is that, you know. So I don't know what you're talking about. We're going to destroy the planet. We're going to have nothing. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think. Yeah, well, I we're like okay, we're getting off track, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I no, I mean, I I personally think that like again, if we if we went past our human impulses, I think with the level of technology that we have, we have enough to actually be on that track. But it will always get sidetracked because we're human, mm-hmm. so we're always going to find a way to mess something up. Yep, and. Just like the show does, <laughs> we end up at the very end of the show with a bunch of robots again. Yep. So, back to the Galactica, we're in Baltar's lab. Starbuck comes in, and he's like, "Oh, to what do I owe this honor?" And we have Six in the mirror, being very salty. And Trisha Helfer <laughs> actually said that she wished that she had played this differently. That if she were to mm. do it now, she would play it differently. Because How so? she does not... She's like, is she jealous? What is she jealous of? And why is she jealous? And I just never really understood. It was just... That was the direction. And I wish that I hadn't played it quite the way I did. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Because um, she's like... She's jealous of certain people. Mm-hmm. And okay with but other then- people. Yeah, and then she, but she's also like, you know, just like sleep with anybody. Yeah. Walter. It's fine. In the same yeah. episode. Yeah, in the same episode. 
<laughs> so, so I, I yeah. thought that that was interesting. That was probably the one thing that I got from that episode of their podcast was her saying that she she just wishes that she had made different decisions with how she performed this scene specifically. My takeaway from that is I just don't think that they really knew what she, that she was. Yeah. They just were kind of doing stuff at that point. So that's why. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so, yeah. So Starbuck is telling Baltar that uh, their shuttle for Cloud Nine leaves the next day. Don't be late. And he is unaware of this shuttle. And she says she's going to be handling his security and he asks for what? And she's like, uh, you've been selected as Caprica's delegate to the Quorum of Twelve. And he's just like, what? Me? Is this kind of, some kind of joke? And she goes, I guess you got the super genius vote. No accounting for tastes. <laughs> um, and so she leaves and Six is like, oh, congratulations. And he's like, politics is the only thing more boring than blood samples. All those interminable speeches, all that dreary pomp. And she wins him over with parties full of young women drawn to men of power. And he's just so simple. Yeah. That he's like, it's oh, like... well, you know, when the people ask for it, I guess I have to give it. Yeah. He's like a man. <laughs> <laughs> so then we go to the park on cloud nine which ron moore said is um at the british university of british columbia mm -hmm. and they did this because they didn't want it to feel claustrophobic it was an easy way for them to have some sort of outdoor type scenes without having to go to different planets he didn't want to fall into the star trek trap of going to different planets that all in his words look like Canada <laughs> that was one of the things I was so impressed by this show when it was originally on because you know con concurrently Stargate was on and Stargate SG-1 and I always would like comment how every episode they looked like I mean they were just in a forest in Vancouver mm -hmm. supernatural <laughs> you know, too yeah, yeah, all of those shows. You always could tell when they're like they're off into the woods it's like, and it's like, oh, this is Canada. How how does Canada stand in for Kansas? <laughs> but okay. So the, yeah, so they it just it, I thought that this this show did a really good job of even when they were in the forest in Canada, they did make it look like otherworldly. They, you know, so it was uh like with the filters that they used or just the framing and sometimes yeah. uh, like in that a few episodes coming up. Oh yeah. Um, the bright but, green leaves of Cobol. Yeah. Yeah. So they did a good job there. Yes. So Starbuck and Apollo are here enjoying the sun or the fake sun. Apollo says that it almost feels like the real thing. Starbuck mentions that or points out that they could have done a better job with horizon because you can see sort of the grid of the dome mm -hmm. and she also notices that there's a thousand different places for a sniper to be to hide and they discuss how many people are supposed to be here any of whom could be a cylon and apollo is like yeah they're not our only problem do you pay don't you pay attention to politics and she's like no <laughs> 
And he says there's a lot of unrest out there, which is just seeding in a little bit more of this Apollo thing mm-hmm. with his, like, maybe being a pilot wasn't your true calling. Starbuck asks why Rosalind is insisting on letting so many people come, and Apollo says that she thinks it's important for them to be able to observe how the government works. And blah blah then they get into a little water fight and i'm just like seriously guys with the water (laughs) the water that you just like had to go searching for ice you could melt yeah i thought about that too ron moore said that that scene originally was written as them jumping into a pool and they were gonna skinny skinny dipping Yeah, yeah so they were they were going full ham with the water stuff but you know at least a pool I could have understood a little bit better because it probably already had that water in it and it would be chlorinated and you're not going to be drinking it anyway. Mm-hmm. But this is a garden hose. And she's just like spraying him with it when three weeks ago they were rationing a thimble for people to drink a day. This is the first time I even, this rewatch of the show is the first time I even paid attention to that whole water <laughs> thing. So I think it, probably yeah. everyone yeah. didn't pay attention to it that yeah. closely at the time, including the people writing the show. Yeah, now I'm like, oh yeah, they just, they just have to. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, maybe they just, they, they, you know, again, like thematically, it just kind of shows like there's an abund- abundance of it. So they don't, like that problem's been solved. But yeah, it took like, Practically, they shouldn't have been doing that. Then we have the uh, arrival of everybody, and somehow Ty was elected to be the person to greet people. <laughs> Who made this decision? Is this because they wanted to give Eddie a couple days off? Yeah. Trisha Helfer's theory of why Eddie is so light in this episode is that he probably was doing post on his episode. Yeah. So he just wasn't available. Yeah, it's kind of. I thought something along those lines. Not. I wasn't thinking post, but just like from uh, some of the previous episodes, he was in heavily. It was kind of a a break for him to just show up, or they might have been shooting something else with him. So, yeah, I, I his episode that he directed though was two episodes prior. Mm-hmm. So it yeah, like totally schedule correct. wise, that's probably exactly what he was doing. Was, yeah working on that so we have ty who has just no patience for any of these people he's got this like very tight fake smile and ellen is trying to use this opportunity to network so that she can boost their position somehow (laughs) there's a little thing with apollo uh having a sort of run-in with this guy named grimes over zarek oh because some some other guy yells that zarek is a murderer and that guy which he he is yes and that guy's like he's not a murderer he's a freedom fighter and then apollo breaks up this fight so zarek goes through the line and colonel ty won't shake his hand but ellen is like i'll shake your hand and does that Ellen thing where she's like flirting? Yeah, it was super creepy. Yeah. And he's like, Thank you for making me feel welcome, Ellen. And she says that she hopes to see him again. 
Ty asks her why she did that, and she said to get our picture on the front page of every half-baked newsletter and photo service in the fleet. And he says that he doesn't need his picture taken with a terrorist. And she says, Rosalind's the past and Zarek's the future. A blind man can see that. Why would anybody think this? I mean, she's Ellen Ty. Yeah, like Ellen, (laughs) fine. Fall for the nonsense. But she should know her husband is not going to be okay with this. His loyalty is to Bill, anyway, to Adama. Yeah. Like, I don't think he cares who's president. I mean, I wrote in my notes, I just wrote, she's chaos. So, yeah. um, you know, that's that. That's that's kind of that. Yeah, and again, yeah, and Ty, like, she, she was, a, she's approaching everything from, like, being a mover and a shaker, and you can, like, a politician, right? And but Ty is a military person. He just like he just takes orders, and he's like say so he's happy where he's at being the XO. Which I like, just thought about it. Like in a few episodes, we see how uncomfortable he actually is taking on that responsibility of being yeah. fully in charge. So he's like so he's fine where he's at. So he's not he doesn't have all these machinations of yeah being anything. his ambition. Maybe was never even to be as high as XO. Like, according to the backstory, it wasn't. He got pulled in by Adama when Adama got reinstated into the fleet. Right. Yeah, and then um, Ty was kind of a mess. And so he brought Ty back in with him to give Ty, like, kind of something to to do. And, yeah, Ty just kind of goes along for the ride. And he, yeah, he's just there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and he's a good XO. He's a good number two. And yeah. some people are good number twos. Yeah. And every number one needs a number two. Mm-hmm. Ellen just doesn't care about that. She doesn't care what, what Saul wants. It's all about what she wants. Yeah, she's trying to get she's trying to get the presidential suite and the on the cloud nine. <laughs> <laughs> so Zarek goes down the line and there's the question of whether or not Rosalind is going to shake his hand and she says that there's only one way to find out so he holds out his hand and then she shakes his hand and air kisses each of his cheeks and he says that that was nicely played and then tells her that he's not her enemy which sounds false to me yeah, I mean, I kind of, I kind of believe everything he says, which is like, it's like, I know, I know you're not trustworthy, but just the, his delivery, he just yeah. he feels so earnest. But obviously, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, no, you're like, you are the enemy, and we'll find out like in a few minutes. Yeah. So, so in the auditorium, Rosalind's going over the agenda, and Baltar is sleeping. Which, that image of him with, like, his head on his hands or on his arms at the, in the quorum is pretty iconic. (laughs) And Six wakes him up by saying that he is missing an intriguing opportunity. Playa's not wearing any underwear. And that she's been eyeing him all afternoon. And he's just like, well, she's only human. You're not jealous and she says that love isn't about sex 
And that she's been thinking, as far as she's concerned, he can have any woman he wants. But remember that she has his heart. And that she can rip it out of his chest if she needs to. And then she does something where we see him reacting without seeing her. Then he's paying more attention. And Rosalind, at this point, asks if there's no objections, the chair will entertain motions to accept today's agenda. And Zarek steps up and says he has an objection. And that all the items on the agenda are important. Ration distribution, education, medical services. But he is shocked to discover that no one has been talking about the election of a vice president. If anything were to happen to her, we'd have no designated successor. He's, again, not wrong. Mm -hmm. And someone, I think it was on the on Trisha Helfer's podcast, I think her co-host was like, why didn't they think of this before? And it's really just like, they've been kind of busy. <laughs> like yeah. the last few weeks, it's been pretty busy. All of this is very new. It's been one crisis after another, and they haven't really thought about the vice president position. Ron Moore talks about that. He's oh, like, is that who? Yeah. He's like, okay. yeah, it's been like we, it's been a little bit over, it's about a month and a half. At this point, since the since sixty billion people died, <laughs> right? And yeah, so they just haven't really quite gotten to that point of like, and it, like, in this whole episode is actually about them just getting to establishing um, the quorum. And yeah. also, he says that it kind of makes sense because, like, the vice president needs to be sort of like nominated through the quorum so it can't really have happened until now anyway but it's also true that no one's really thought about it so he says that sagittarian moves that the first item on the quorum's agenda should be the nomination of vice president six tells baltar to second it and then forces him to raise his hand to second it then all the call for all in favor of opening nominations for vice president C say aye, and everybody agrees. So now the floor is open for nominations. The first one to nominate is from Vergon, and he nominates Zarek. And she asks if there's a second, and Geminon nom- seconds the nomination. So that nomination has been accepted. Then she says that the chair will remain open for 72 hours for nominations and then adjourns this session, which I feel like she must have done out of frustration because she just had this whole agenda. I don't think she planned on adjourning them so early, but she has to go back to Capital One to complain to her people about Zarek potentially being her vice president. Yeah, and then that's the the problem with this thing is like it's not that Zarek is you know he's not wrong and that they do need a vice president, but the only reason why he brought it up is because he has a personal agenda and a personal. So it's not like he did it wasn't altruistic, you know. Right. And that's I think that's the problem here. So. Wallace Gray saying that it didn't shock him when Baggett from 
PyCon nominated him, but Porter from Geminon was surprising, and Rosalind says, not wor- not really. The Geminon ships use more water per capita than any other ship in the fleet, and she wanted more rations. I said no. Those Geminons. Ugh. I dare them want more water. Ugh. So Apollo tells them not to underestimate Zarek. He's charismatic and knows which buttons to push, but he thinks that they need to be more concerned about the security aboard Cloud Nine. And she says that she wants him leaning on this. If they so much as sneeze, they'd better have a handkerchief. Which is <laughs> a weird thing to say, but okay. <laughs> so then she says we need a candidate, someone who will quickly win the delegate support. Billy says an established name, and then she stares at Gray, and he says he's not a politician. She says, you know how to get things done. You've kept this fleet functioning. And so he accepts her nomination. And I just want to point out how he was like, oh, no, no, I'm not a politician, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Later, his reaction to something else is not quite this. Yeah, I don't I don't like that poor guy. (laughs) And then he gets like. We never see him again. Yeah, He's probably in this in the same brig as uh, Sasinus and <laughs> and uh, the master master at Well, we'll see Sasinus soon enough. Yeah, we will. <laughs> Zarek gets uh, interviewed by the the colonial gang, and here's where he says something that really does make a lot of sense. He says, there's no economy, there's no market, no industry, no capital. Money is worthless, and yet we're all held hostage by the idea of the way things used to be. He points out a guy who is gardening, and he says that this guy wakes up every morning and goes to work in the garden. Why? Because it's his job. (laughs) He labors, but he gets no benefit, and he's not the only one. Many of us are still going through the motions of our old lives. The lawyers still act like lawyers, but they have no clients. Businessmen still act like businessmen, but they have no business. President Rosalind and her policies are all about holding on to a fantasy. If we want to survive, we need to completely restructure our lives. And that's not wrong. I like how when they show the <laughs> the gardener, he turns around. He's kind of like, yeah! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like I uh, again, I see both sides. It's important to hold on to the structure you already know. When something this devastating happens, that's all you've got left. If you want to continue being a society, you have to function the way you the only way you know how and then make changes to adapt to your current situation. And it seems like Rosalind probably isn't doesn't have very much wiggle room on making those changes. And here's Eric who has these bigger ideas of like, hey, the old way doesn't apply anymore. It's not that it's invalid. It's just it doesn't we don't have this structure, this actual structure for people to be doing their jobs for free. Why? Like there's a lot that needs to be built. 
later we see that when they do catch the guy with the briefcase, which I kind of didn't even mention, but there's this guy with the briefcase. <laughs> yeah, because Ron Moore kind of talks about that, too. It, like, it kind of fell flat. Yeah. yeah. But, like, he's got a bunch of money in his briefcase, and Starbuck, like, tears it in half because it literally means nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, even in... I, like you said in Star Trek, they don't have any money. I don't. I haven't watched enough Star Trek to even really have thought about that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you're right. But in Star Wars, they have credits. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in the Expanse, they had some form of capital. Mm-hmm. So here we are, basically having to rebuild from scratch, and there isn't capital. So they have to create that if that's the way they're going to function, instead of well, we still need the garden to be gardened. We still need the drinks to be served at the bar, but we're not going to pay you. It's just like, what else are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the way it seems that they're looking at it. It's like, well, that, what else are you going to do with your time? Yeah. I mean, we, we can't encounter that, uh, you know, lockdowns 2020, right? The, yeah. It, it, it totally threw a complete wrench in how everybody thought of the world and why we do what we do and you know a lot in a lot of ways the veil was lifted on how much of an illusion <laughs> some of it is um and then people were like some people were trying to like move past it and other people wanted to to, to buckle down and, and we got to get back to the way it was you know and that there was that that whole push and pull um i am a person that thinks i mean you know I like money, but I also recognize money is basically just an agreement amongst people. And so it doesn't have, it has a a particular kind of power, but it's not inherent to itself. So uh, at a certain point, like in Star Wars or Star Trek, I can keep saying Star Wars instead of Star Trek. In Star Trek, yeah, like they it, they don't have money because they don't need it, and they and they kind they have realized that having money in their society doesn't like serve the ends that it would be for because it was just a, a means to trade right and um so these people here in galactica they're just they're like kind of being confronted with that because that free flow of of money is just not there it's like it's you still need it on a certain level because there are there are there are resources that need to be traded but there's not that also that economy that the scale of economy that like when there were 12 colonies and people were just able to like kind of live their lives like before. So, yeah. So then we have the scene at the bar, um, which I'm not going to go into detail. Apollo gets in a fight with this guy Grimes. And when the guy hits him with a beer bottle, Starbucks tries to jump in and this other guy like holds her back. And then, uh, Valance, who's sitting there with his briefcase open, <laughs> goes to run off and Starbuck, he drops it. Starbuck sees he has a gun or whatever. And eventually they catch Valance and um, incapacitate Grimes. So they're able to take them in for questioning. Two things about this scene, though. Like, one... I mean, I remember when I first watched it way back in the day, I was so impressed that she was still limping, actually, because there was like, oh, they're, you know, they're paying attention to continuity, because especially at that time, that wasn't that still wasn't quite like it was still kind of new. Like, 
people actually paid attention to continuity to anything outside of comic books. But also, <laughs> there's two moments in this episode that made me fall in love with Starbuck, and this is the first one. Um, when she, when she's running and she knocks the bottle to Lee, yeah. like like an action hero, <laughs> and then keeps pursuing him. I just love that. I don't know why I love it. It's just like and I think it's, she it's does so, it with her cane. Yeah, with her cane. Yeah, that's why it's so great. And she knocks him down with her cane too. And I'm just like, yeah, this total like action, you know, movie person. And I was like, oh, that's this is why she's Starbuck. She's a she's a DJ. She's a pilot. She's a sniper. Well, on that note, she's also a security guard. Yeah, security guard. And an interrogator. <laughs> yeah, I love I love that scene so yeah. much. I love it. Uh, we have a quick scene on Caprica where Hilo and Sharon are sort of scoping out the um it says he says it's the Telamon building. In Delphi, this is where the Cylons have sort of made their military hub and or thus using the spaceport and they can't go in there until dark. So she's like, we might as well make ourselves comfortable and says that she's starving. So she starts to eat and Hilo is still trying to figure out this blonde woman. And he thinks, like, is it a person helping them? And why would why would anyone want to help the toasters? And what, are they twins? That's just weird. <laughs> and she says, do you have a better explanation? And he starts to think, like, maybe they're messing with human DNA or cloning people. And the whole time, Sharon is sitting with her back to him. And we can see all over her face that she's really paying attention to what he's saying. Yeah. Trying to gauge, like, how is he going to react? Because she's going to need to tell him soon. Mm-hmm. And he says that, that it would explain why they how they took us by surprise that they had these replicated humans infiltrating the colonies, laying the groundwork for a surprise attack. And then she's like, well, you know, if they're human clones, that means that they're capable of complex emotions, maybe even love, maybe they were misguided. <laughs> and he's like, no, they're not human. No human would do these things, killing billions of innocent people. They've got to be Cylons, just like the rest of them. And I would like Hilo to stop being so naive because humans <laughs> are the fucking worst. It was uh, it was so funny. It's kind of like you sweet summer child feel mm-hmm. when he was like, you, you saw him working it out. He's like, maybe there's this, maybe there's that. Oh my God, I mean, he's right about everything. He's right. <laughs> Except about the part that humans would never do this. Yeah. Because humans absolutely would. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually funny too because like, Sharon, she's she's like, well, maybe they're this, maybe they're that. And it kind of reminds me of um, a Family Guy when Stewie's <laughs> asking, uh, oh, what's his, I forget the dog's name, but he's, when he's asking him about like Brian. his, yeah, Brian, Brian, when he's talking about his novel, he's like, How, how's your novel going? Uh, do you have a good plot going? Do you have uh, your characters with conflict? Do you have a... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Sharon's like asking him questions kind of like that, like definitely leading, <laughs> yeah. probing. It's just really funny. Yeah, like, 
I mean, maybe, maybe you're right, but if they're, if it's human DNA, then they probably have feelings. Yeah. They can feel love. They might even be able to get pregnant. Yeah. And... Uh, maybe they can live happily ever after, maybe. <laughs> maybe when we get back to Galactica and you see that there's another Sharon, you won't immediately kill me. Yeah. Because you love me. It's actually funny because, again, watched the show a billion times and I never really thought about this moment, like, per se, because I was like, what was her plan, actually? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I think just she like was the winging it. Just like the Cylons, what was their plan? But yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. It's just kind of like what? what okay, you're going to get off the planet, and then like a bit. Yeah, like you said earlier, like eventually she's going to have to tell him, or he's going to find out. Like where where were you? You're going to get to Galactica, and then what? You know, were they or yeah. was she just going to fly through space and be? Maybe her plan was to get back to Galactica. No, there's no way it would have worked. Because I was going to say, like, she could just kill Boomer and take her place (laughs) and never tell anybody. But they would always know. Like, no, Boomer's been here the whole time. Yeah. And then if she... And then... Yeah, and she would have never really quite gotten away with that. Because that Boomer would have known, you know, um, who killed her when she re... uh, resurrected yeah. but sure but i don't think that i i don't think athena would have been all that concerned that's about that super dark that's like almost dark than what actually happens <laughs> <laughs> it's like it, it goes from like assassination attempt to like uh true crime <laughs> you know <laughs> all right so here is the interrogation scene which is actually legitimately probably the best scene in this show i love it so much i it's like because it's like a comedy almost I don't know. like What's up with Lee? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. He's like slamming stuff on the table and throwing it across the room. And Ron Moore said that that was just all Jamie. He just decided to throw that briefcase across the room. And they just thought like that's so funny. So they kept it. Yeah. I love but it. yeah, we've got these two who, these are pilots. These are not cops. But somehow they're like good cop, bad copping or bad cop not as bad cop yeah because she's like i mean we could just throw you out the airlock that's that's what we do to traitors wink it's staying all calm while apollo's out there screaming and throwing things which is opposite of how they normally behave yeah i love it's it fun yeah it's fun and it's like i mean you know my read of it is that they you know they're they like the characters are playing a part, not the actors are playing a part, but right. like the characters were definitely emulating what they thought a <laughs> interrogation scene was. Right. Yeah. They watched a few movies and they're like, okay, okay, so I'm just going to sit here with like my feet up on the desk. Yeah. And just like calmly, like just stare at him. And, and you like go nuts. Yeah, and then obviously he's like super nervous. So it's like you you smell blood in the water, and then you just like you go even more ham with it because you could tell that he's not you know he he's actually gonna respond to all of these <laughs> these vague threats. I love when I love it when he's like uh, we're just was he he's like I guess we'll just shoot you or something. I forget what he, what the line was. Oh, well, yeah, it's right before he throws the suitcase. He's just like, screw, oh, screw it. <laughs> and he grabs. I oh, just love it. It's so good. Valent says, I don't even know Zarek. And Starbuck says, your pal Grimes says different. He gave you up. 
And Valens is like, you're bluffing. You haven't gotten anything. But he's like sort of stuttering that. Yeah. So he – it's not like in other interrogation scenes that we've all seen where the guilty person is like, you're bluffing. And they don't – they're still cool as a cucumber. This guy's like, uh, uh, no, no, you're, you're, you're bluffing. Mm-hmm. And Apollo's like, well, we don't need anything because this isn't a trial. This is just you and us in the room. Yeah. And Starbuck is like, yeah, I mean, there is no due process. This is your courtroom. And Apollo's like, that would make us your execution. Yeah. executioner. I love it. I love it. So good. And then he's like. That's what, that's what she's like. Or you could go out in airlock because that's what we do to traitors. Yeah. And he's like, you know what? <laughs> Practice. I love yeah. it. So good. And then it cuts. Right when he, like, grabs Valance, it cuts to him on Colonial One, and he's like, we put the heat on him, and he wouldn't give anything up. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that Starbuck does say, like, it, she she uses what Zarek said, actually, you know, about, like, the due process part. She's like, yeah, your, your man Zarek, you know, he had a good point. <laughs> We're all just yeah. kind of making it up. <laughs> Right, as she tears up his money. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so well played. It, it is. It's very good. So Apollo is telling Rosalind, like, we couldn't get anything out of him. You should probably send the entire Sagittarian delegation back to their ships. And she says, no, I can't do that. That violates their civil rights. So um, he thinks there could still be another shooter on Cloud Nine if Zarek wins the vote. And she says, Zarek's not going to win because I'm not going to let him win. And then she goes full fascist and is like, you're going to keep him under surveillance. You're going to tap his phone. You're going to bug his room. It's like, um, what? Yeah. <laughs> just like any, you know, I mean, just like any politician. Like, no matter, I think no matter what side you're on. Power like, corrupts. Yeah, they all have that, you know. They're, they're all There are always things that kind of could be used to undermine um, or that just to show the hypocrisy of, of some of the stances that they take, you know? Yep. Like every last one of them. So, so then we're back to the vote. And right now, Zarek has five and Gray has seven. But an hour ago, Zarek had four. So he must be making promises. Billy says that PyCon flipped. I'm surprised that PyCon wasn't already one of his votes since PyCon was the one who seconded his nomination, right? Or yeah, but it's like you can never trust the Pisces. So oh, right, those damn fish. Um, I really don't know. I really, I just hear people talk about zodiac signs. I have no idea. I don't know. I would only say you can't trust a Gemini, but that's just my perspective. Yeah, that's the other one. <laughs> um. So this is this was my favorite thing that Lee did. And this is maybe my favorite moment of Lee Apollo Adama in the entire series. Mm. He walks up to mm. Zarek and is like, hey, how you doing? Remember me? We got Valance in your next. <laughs> and I just, the, he was just so cool. Yeah. He was so suave. I was just like, all right. I see you. Yeah. I lo- yeah. They're just playing cops. It's so good. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, he's just so, like, had a little smile on his face, just casually walked up to him, just whispered in his ear. I was just like, damn, Apollo, where's this guy all the time? Yeah. Then we have Zarek and Ellen at the bar. I just, I hate them both. <laughs> <laughs> I hate them both. 
slimy. The two of them, so slimy. Yeah. In their own ways. They're just both always looking for a leg up in some way or another. She's just like, I'm just looking out for me, myself, and I. Oh, and my husband, of course. But you know what it's like? I it's it's like she's making all these moves, but it's like it's like she doesn't realize. <laughs> I mean, I know that this is for like all the marbles poli- politically, but it's like she doesn't realize she's just in like the PTA or something. Like she's like she's shooting way, way, way above her station. Like she's not yeah. going to be able to. She's not going to ever be like any kind of player. You know? I don't think she's. Tr- I don't know what she's trying. That's that's but that's the point, and that's why when you say it's just about chaos, is it's really more accurate. I don't know what Ellen's end game is. What point is she trying to get to? What is she trying to achieve? I don't know that it's anything. She just is a disruptor. Yeah, and she, and she wants to get things like a suite on the rising star like that's that's as high as her ambition is going yeah i want nice (laughs) things yeah i want things for free i want information that i can use to get myself stuff yeah that's what i mean by like she's just like (laughs) she's she's like her her like what she's thinking of is so low level like she like she doesn't get like everything that's going on. And then, you know, and I actually, in my notes, I write that I wrote that um, Zarek is chaos also. He's like in a different way mm-hmm. where like, cause like he, that's, he will default to chaos when he doesn't like kind of get his way, like every time. Right. Like, yeah. um, and, and so it's almost like they see each other, you know, except he happens to be like trying to play for all the marbles and she doesn't. And like, he's like, he's a guy that like, it's sort of like an, again another example of a lot of politicians where you you have to be wary of what they say um, because just because they a lot you know they'll be saying what people want to hear versus actually believing in those principles and ideals right and so I think that's where he comes from like he he just kind of says what people. <laughs> want to hear to get them on his side and he just does it basically everything's for his ego and that kind of gets established in the in his his introductory episode Mm -hmm. um and she like obviously just like she wants everything for herself also and so they're just they're they're almost like you know twin flames but like brother and sister twin yeah like Like, he's bigger picture she's small picture she's very uh instant gratification and he's like I'm playing a long game and she's playing a very short game. Mm-hmm. So what he needs is information, which she can trade because her husband clearly is talking to her when he shouldn't be. Yeah. And what she wants is a, a night away <laughs> at, on the rising star where she just spent multiple weeks in a coma. Yeah. <laughs> that nobody knew about. You know, and wants to know why her husband's job won't give him a vacation. Oh, God. So, clearly she gave the information of where Valance is to someone, to Zarek. I don't think Zarek went in there and killed this guy himself. But now he had the information. 
So when Starbuck and Apollo go back to the interrogation room, Valance has slit wrists and is dead. And Apollo says, we have got to get to the president. I think uh, <laughs> Zarek might have sent um, Dexter's dad mm. to kill him, maybe. That just popped into my head. Now. Oh, right. That guy's somewhere, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, as good a headcanon solution as anything else <laughs> yeah. since they don't talk about that later whoops yeah. just drop something because it's sort of it's sort of implied that uh i don't know it's sort of just the, just through the looks i don't actually think this happened but just through the looks it's sort of implied that like ellen, ellen could have done it yeah <laughs> but that's i think that's what they want us to like question like did ellen do this i don't think she did yeah, i, don't I think, think she, she just traded information yeah. so she could get something you know fun for herself yeah and yeah, so it would make more sense if he sent his sent his buddy in that we meet next season. Yeah, shortly actually. Yeah, what's um, his name? Like it's, it's a, he, he, I always forget his name, but he's like a he's like a great actor, and I just I oh know. his name is James Remar. James Remar, yeah. I don't know why yeah. I can't like it always just drops actually, out of my head. Actually, um, I met him at Starbucks that I worked at a few years ago when I was still a supervisor. Uh huh. He was here filming something. And he came in, and we had a little, we had seats, like, right at the, at the bar. And so I just, like, chatted with him while I was making drinks for people. He was very nice. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even be like, oh, my God, I really liked you and Dexter. I didn't talk to him about him or his career at all. I just chatted with him. Because sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like celebrities kind of like being treated like normal people. Yeah. Well, apparently he wasn't so nice when he got booted off of uh, Aliens back in the day. Oh, yeah? Maybe he changed his uh, changed his attitude after that. I don't know. I mean, people have good days and bad days, and who knows what kind of ego plays in, but he yeah. was nice enough to me. Yeah. No, I'm saying like he was a lot younger than he might have like, yeah. gotten, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be a... Shouldn't be such an a hole. <laughs> He's really good at playing really terrible people. Yeah, yeah. He very rarely seems to play a sympathetic person. He was great. Uh, he was. Uh, he, I mean, he was in the uh, Warrior, the Warriors, and he was pretty. I never pretty, saw that. Oh, I love that movie. Oh, <laughs> so good. So good. So we have this discussion about was it suicide or murder and. Rosalind thinks Eric had him killed, and how'd they get past the Marine guards, and Apollo says they went through the vents. Meanwhile, while this is happening, Baltar is being interviewed on the radio. And he is also saying all the right things, but he's not trying to, he's not campaigning in any way. He's not Mm -hmm. doing this necessarily for politics. He's just, he loves attention, and he knows the right things to say to continue getting that attention. So he is saying that I think all of us have had teachers who have made a profound impact on our lives. History is full of examples of leaders who have come from the most humble beginnings. So he's like defending Roslyn Mm -hmm. because the question that was posed to him by the Fox news guy was, do you seriously believe that this school teacher is able to handle the job of the presidency? I'm starting to like get annoyed by all these like, slurs about the school teacher business right like come on give her like give her some respect she was the secretary of education yeah even if she and, was a school teacher like 
Like we've all had like if yeah. you, it's like call, referring to me as some job I had like thirty years ago. Right, and it's not like she was like Betty DeVos out here, yeah, exactly. with like no education background whatsoever when she got the job of yeah. the Secretary of Education. So, yeah, like this is just some classist bullshit. Yeah, Betty, what's her name? Betty DeVos. She was like. Oh, Betsy. Betsy. That's what it was. Yeah, she Betsy was she was, she was selling Amway. That was her. <laughs> yeah. Her thing. Baltar continues with Laura Roslin and the tough decisions that she has to make every day, especially if you're someone like Tom Zarek, who's never shouldered any real responsibility in your life. To be fair to Tom, how could he? He's been in prison for the last 20 years. I love that so, dig. Oh, that's so good. That's so yeah. delicious. So now he's had a drastic personality makeover. He's posing like he's the savior of all your ills. So he's like saying all the right things. And for once, not necessarily to get anything out of it. He Mm -hmm. just, the more he talks this way, the more they're going to keep those microphones on him. And that's what he likes is the attention. Mm -hmm. And the attention he's getting is from Rosalind, who suddenly is like, well, we are losing, and uh, I have to go do this thing. So, or I'm gonna. She says she's gonna win, but I have to go have two very unpleasant conversations. Baltar felt like I, I. I definitely was questioning, wondering, not questioning. I was wondering how much he believed what he was saying. In some ways, he he comes across. He came across to me like a like a classical liberal or something on like a CNN where it's like, like sometimes they might, he might say all the right things, but then, you know, he'll take all the money from uh, <laughs> the insurance companies and sell everybody out. <laughs> yeah. I you know? don't, I don't know that he believes anything that comes out of his mouth. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. But the, but the delivery though was like, I just was like, just hearing him. I was like, yeah, like he was kind of, he was saying the things and I believed that he believed it in the in, in the moment just on the surface like i know we know enough about him to know that he probably didn't but i was just wondering i was like does he actually believe that or not it's interesting i would say that he doesn't have any solid opinion one way or the other because he literally doesn't care mm-hmm. and i think baltar is really good at saying all the right things because mm-hmm. he's very smart and he knows how to play a room. Mm-hmm. He does this later when he gets into his new vocation much later on mm-hmm. where I think he's saying all the things that he thinks that people want to hear from him. And I don't think he believes a single word of it until at some point he does. Yeah. Very true. So in that, in that you're talking about towards the end of the season, right? Or to, I mean, the end of the series. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in, in those instances, I never thought he believed <laughs> anything no, that I, he was saying. But, I was watching it fairly closely because I went into this viewing once again thinking, oh, here we are at the part where Baltar is absolutely full of shit. Uh-huh. But I watched where it got to a point where he stopped being full of shit. Yeah. And it was, I, I don't even think it was that something specific happened. It, I think it's just he started actually believing what Six has been pushing him to say. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then really stood behind that. Yeah, we're, we're jumping way, way ahead. Yeah. But 
Is that, I mean, I kind of feel like it was, or I don't know, but I kind of feel like it was around the time when he starts talking about his childhood and stuff, right? There's like that scene where he uses his actual accent and all that well, stuff. Well, that's with Tori. That's with Tori? Oh, I love mm-hmm. Tori. Oh. Tori will be here soon. I've been enjoying her on Yellow Jackets. At least, yeah. At least, you know. Oh, or, I, you're in season. Well, I mean, I mean, as 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 far as she's around, I, but I'm on season two now. But uh, okay. yeah, but uh, yeah. Yeah, just, she's really good. Yeah. So Rosalind goes to Wallace Gray, and we cut into the end of the conversation where he's saying, "What am I supposed to say?" And she very quickly says, "Health reasons." And then he basically turns on her working with adar you were always so quiet so polite so dignified i never thought you'd fit in with the bare knuckle backstabbing politicians i guess i was wrong i take issue with this because one day ago you sir were saying (laughs) i'm not a politician so isn't she doing you a favor you know what um no because she sort of convinced him to say yes and then then kind of took it away from him. And it's okay. not, you know, so it's not like that. I mean, that happens all the time, right? And like you might not necessarily be on board with something, but then someone might sell you on it and then you get on board. And then to have that taken away almost it's been one day. Yeah. But I mean, it's just, you know, if like I didn't want to take a job and then. And then someone's like, well, like this, this, and this, and this, and this, and these reasons. So I go, okay, yeah, commit to that. And then they're like, oh, sorry, that's not there. I'm going to be annoyed, even if I didn't necessarily, like, really want the job and, you know, so. But would you insult the person who was your friend a day ago? Yeah, I would. Okay. Well, I, I wouldn't. I'm just, I'm, I'm just being sassy right now. I, 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 don't, I mean, you know, who, who knows how I'd actually be, but I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm team dude in this instance. Like, cool. she definitely, she definitely. I said dude because I can't remember his name. Right? Not like team man, but like, uh, I just like I don't. Yeah, she like it was cold. It just was cold, mm-hmm. and. I mean, it's also why I like her, you know, because um, yeah. she's like in Rob Morris like she can, she's very pragmatic. But yeah, she's like kind of I don't know. I just I, I, I it's happened to me before. Like you, I've been I, sometimes you feel like you're set up to fail or something or and I just don't I don't personally like that feeling. So. OK. Well, then we go to the bathroom where this is so wonderfully <laughs> shot. Yeah. This scene where it's all shot in the mirrors and she's peeking her head in, but it's coming in the little edge of the mirror and she's just like, Dr. Baltar, are you in here? And he flushes the toilet and comes out and he's like buttoning up his pants and everything. And she talks about how she heard him on the wireless and he was very articulate and engaging. And he says he's just doing his part as the elected representative for Caprica she says, so I take it you're not voting for Mr. Zarek. And he says, any man who uses their intelligence and resources to blow up a building doesn't get my vote. No, I'm voting for your man, Gray. He's really gray. <laughs> he's great. He's great. <laughs> Which is why he's got my vote. And she says, well, unfortunately, he had to drop out of the race. 
And he says, well, then who do you want me to vote for? And instead of, like, being like, well, you need to vote for who you want. However, she's just like, well, I was thinking you. And then it's just like, let's cut to the chase. You're a very popular man these days. I would be fortunate to have your intellect and your popularity right by my side. He cannot resist any kind of flattery. Plus, he's got six somewhere probably making faces at him. So he accepts. And she thanks him and leaves. And then Playa comes out of the stall. <laughs> and on the um, on the Battlestar Galactic cast, they're like, so Gaius just looked like Gaius. And Playa comes out like she's just been like in a wind tunnel. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but she's just like wow what are you gonna do now and he's like well now i'm just gonna give you an exclusive (laughs) you know it's like underlying the entire scene is uh this music that was playing it's on it's it's on the score but um it's this kind of kind of like it's called the the name of the track is called galactica music musicata but it's kind of like like this weird elevator music or something (laughs) 60s elevator music that's kind of underlying the whole thing in the background it just makes it even more comical um i really like that scene i i like any scene with mary mcdonald and james callis i think they play off each other really well Mm mm-hmm and this might be the last time that they aren't adversaries. Mm-hmm. And maybe the first time that they aren't adversaries. Mm-hmm. But she's not wrong. This was the right choice to make. If anybody was going to beat Zarek, it would have to be somebody very, very charismatic and popular. Mm-hmm. So, okay. In my notes... The only note I wrote about this scene is that they should always find reasons for Jamie Bamber to be in a towel. <laughs> I definitely thought about you when I, that, scene, <laughs> that scene happened. I called it, I really, I wrote the Apollo shot. Yeah, yeah. there's another one coming up later too, I think, um, in a different episode. Or maybe that episode's already happened there, i can't it, remember yeah there was a, I, I didn't bring it up but there was a scene where he was just wearing his like the undergarments from his flight uniform and he was just his arms were all like sweaty and rippled and, <laughs> and it was like the way he was he was like posing and i was like oh that was for the ladies definitely you know yeah and the men was... and the men that enjoy that yeah. you know so this was eye candy for all of us yeah. trisha helfer said that um they that out of out of courtesy, they will give you advance notice. Um, you know, in this on in this script on in this scene, we're gonna need you to be shirtless so that you can get prepared. Mm-hmm. So you're not eating pizza the day before. <laughs> and and she's like, I know that Jamie works very hard, well, we very saw, exhaustingly. We saw to look like, like that. He got he took up off about a hundred pounds in like two days. So we know well. he can. <laughs> You know he can work out, but he needs to. Um, <laughs> I can't wait till we great. get to that scene. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, you've gotten soft. <laughs> <laughs> so they're discussing um, 
this vote that's coming up and how safe Roslyn is and whether they're supposed to just sit back and watch her get killed. And Apollo doesn't think that Zer- Apollo thinks that Zarek is too smart to take another shot at her during the summit. But if he wins the vote, he can take her out whenever anyone's forgotten about Valance. So then they have a quick discussion about her hygiene because her jacket is dirty and she says that she cleans up good sometimes. And that is just there so that when she shows up later in a dress, we're all like, aha, she said so. (laughs) We get the vote. And basically, it seems like it could go either way. The vote is 6-5 in favor of Tom Zarek. The next vote will determine our vice president. If Zarek gets it, he wins. In the event of a tie, the president will cast the deciding vote. And that seems to be what happened because our new vice president is Dr. Gaius Baltar. Everybody cheers. I love the music. I love how he walks out. I like the wave. It's so it's so played so well it felt very like johnny carson yeah yeah like uh you know tonight show (laughs) ron moore said on the on the commentary that the temp music that they put in when they were editing was fly me to the moon and they really tried to justify using it Mm -hmm. and then decided that they couldn't so they went with something that just sounded real jazzy yeah love it and in this scene we have six talking about the perks of his power and those perks seem to be all of these young women who are attracted to power he's willing to ignore six in order to go canoodle with these ladies and then apollo sees starbuck in her dress and has to pick his job off the ground that's the second moment i fell in love with starbuck (laughs) i just think she's looked better she looks great but I think she's looked prettier in other... But I know, dress is a dress. I think it's just I don't like the dress. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. I think she looks beautiful. I think I don't like the dress. And she, Katie Sackoff, has talked about this dress, how she like wanted the perfect dress. And finally, this one came up as an option. And she was like, that's it. That's the dress. And I question that because I don't like that dress. But maybe it's just not my taste. Yeah, and from the delegation of men, <laughs> I don't recognize necessarily if something is a good dress or not. It just I'm like you're wearing a dress, <laughs> you look pretty. That's she looks good head. in the dress. The dress fits her well. I just don't like the style. Yeah, Trisha Helfer went on a little bit of a uh, tangent at this point of her podcast, talking about how. You know, men are always saying, like, why do you wear so much makeup? You'd look so much better if you were natural. And that this disproves that because everybody loses their minds when they see Starbuck in a dress. Yeah, that's true. And all made up. And I don't disagree. But I'm also not one of those people that's like, I hate that I have to put on makeup. Like, I personally think I look better with it on. So I wear makeup every day. And there are some people who don't need it at all. For me, I don't even know if it's necessarily about the makeup. It's just about the whole whole presentation. Like, right? Like she when... got all dolled up, but I think that's part of Trisha Helfer's point. Is yeah. like everybody goes bananas when somebody walks in the room looking like Katie did in this scene. Yeah, if, if she were 
you know, if her hair wasn't done, if she wasn't wearing makeup, if she's just wearing a regular clothes, maybe not a fancy dress, but just maybe just a regular dress. Mm -hmm. Maybe like people wouldn't be as like, ah, it's because she was so dolled up that like, don't say that you prefer when women don't wear makeup because that's not true. And I think there are definitely men out there who are definitely that way. Don't wear makeup. But if you don't wear makeup, they're going to say you look like shit. <laughs> wow. Um, Why do you look so tired? Like, yeah. I don't look tired. I just don't have makeup on. Speak, speaking of men that say that, Starbucks, I mean, uh, <laughs> Apollo said that to her a little bit earlier, <laughs> basically, when she was, I think, so I think Ron Moore said that they added the scene uh, after they, like a few weeks after they had shot the episode. Um, because they like needed to pad it out a little bit more, but like kind of in relation to the scene, uh, it was when um, they were Starbuck and Apollo were in the pilots or the the bunk, the barracks or whatever, and um, he was comment. She was like pulling out her uniform, and he was just commenting on how like she doesn't wash it yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, and so yeah, just to, and like, it's so it's a good contrast to the scene later when he actually actually shows up in the dress because he said prior she just showed up in the dress out of nowhere and it just seemed like it was just kind of out of the blue but i mean yeah I, you know i i i am a person that has said that um so i guess i'm a i'm a, I'm a bad i'm a bad <laughs> man but no, i also I... do a lot of training um you know and i do a lot of training um triathlons and i'd see a lot of women without their makeup early in the morning <laughs> So I was just was kind of like, uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe it's fine. But then, you know, some people need it. And every time we all show up dressed up, it's always like, oh, wow, you actually uh, I don't recognize who you are because I'm used to seeing right. you in spandex. So, yeah. All right. So now we have. Well, we have Starbuck and Lee. They go dance. And then Zarek goes up to Roslyn and she says, don't worry, I won't be kissing you today. And he says, oh, I shave very closely in anticipation of being smacked by you. And then congratulates her on a well-played game. Her gambit pl worked. And he says, there's still a presidential election in six months, so I'll see you then. And then he says, I didn't kill Valance. I wonder who did. So you're right that the way he plays that really leaves that as a question. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's lying. I don't think he killed Valance. I think he had Valance killed. Right. So he's not lying. He's just not entirely telling the truth. Either. Yeah. And it's never like a plot point again. No, it never comes up again. So it's like, of course he had, like he literally didn't do it, but. He had someone but do he, it. Yeah, but he did it. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like Charles Manson. Like, I never killed anybody, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, I didn't learn that until um, after I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. I listened to, and if, if you haven't listened to this, it's a fantastic podcast. It's, you might, re or you must remember this. They did a whole series on Charles Manson. And it's incredible. It's like six episodes or something. And I learned so much from that. And the main one that shocked me was that he never killed a single person. Mm -hmm. He just convinced other people to do it. And that is wild. Yeah. It's like a, like a you know, a president. 
<laughs> I heard somebody was like, every every president ever is guilty of war crimes. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, I, know. I mean, that is very true. Yeah. <laughs> so then Adama shows up. We haven't seen him since earlier in the episode. She's surprised to see him. She thought she hated these things. And he says, it's Colonial Day. Where else would I be? I'm a patriot. And he mentions that Dr. Baltar was an interesting choice. And she says, the devil you know. And he says, politics is are exciting as war, definitely as dangerous. She says, in war, you only get killed once. In politics, it can happen over and over. And he yeah. says, you're still standing. And she says, so are you. And he says, and I can dance. And so they start <laughs> dancing together. And I think this is one of those like early signs of like, are they going to try to get these two together? But it also seemed really far-fetched at the time because they're usually against each other. Yeah. There, there is a lot of way to go before you even really thought that that was even a possibility. Like for me, I think it was, it wasn't until the Pegasus episode actually when you saw the end of the Pegasus episodes when you saw that sort of like connection that the two of them had. But then it like it 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 went the way that it should, like friendship <laughs> first and, yeah. and mutual respect. But I did like in hindsight watching that, I did write. And I just noticed this is like a thing in like all fiction, whatever. It's like you know, if uh, if two people dance, um, impending romance. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it definitely is like a setup. Even though I don't think that that was necessarily a setup for them in that moment. Like, there's no way that they that I think that they really could plan that far ahead. That you know, w- where the two of them ended up, and mm-hmm. it the, their their thing felt so organic, and it wasn't like it wasn't like this building tension. It was just they played that perfectly. But yeah, right here, it just it just showed two people in a particular position, and it made sense that they should dance in that moment. So also dancing in this scene, I think we see. Who was Gata dancing with? D? Yeah, Sharon. Oh, Sharon. Yeah, you knew. Yeah. You knew. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only time we see her. Um, that boomer. Yeah. D and Billy were dancing, and Starbuck yeah. and Baltar, and there were a couple other. Like there was a flash of Callie. I can't remember who she was dancing with. It she, was kinda, she was just kind of. She was just kind of like. She wasn't quite dancing. She was just like in a moment. And Starbuck does a little shimmy. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it's great that I, they still had Alessandro Giuliani and um, I can't think of the name of the actress that plays Callie. But their and Dee, their names were all in the opening mm. Credit, not opening mm-hmm. credits, but you know, yeah, when the show comes back, yeah. So they still got like their full credit, mm-hmm. even though they had no lines. Yeah, that's cool. And they just got to come in and dance for a few hours. We don't. We I guess we're not allowed to remember Callie's real name anymore. I guess. Uh, <laughs> I, I know it. I just can't think <laughs> yeah. of it right now. Yeah, she's she's a person in. What do they say in uh, John Wick? Person in. in Communicata or something like that. We we can't say her name anymore. <laughs> oh, I've only seen the first John Wick, so I don't have a encyclopedic knowledge of. I don't either. I just saw John Wick four last week. So. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 
So Ellen and Ty are dancing. She tells him that she got a luxury suite aboard the Rising Star. And he asks how she how did she swing that? And she says, I have my ways. What do you need what you need to do is to figure out a way to get slave driving Bill to give you the day off. And while you're there, you might want to talk to a few people about your future. And he says, What? And she's like, later, my love. It can all wait until later. Like, what is your plan? <laughs> she's a Cylon. That's her plan. <laughs> she, has a, she has a Cylon plan. <laughs> so her plan's as good as theirs, then. Garbage. <laughs> all, the, all the Cylons have terrible plans this episode. Sharon, yes. Ellen. Well, speaking of Sharon, we head back to Caprica. Yeah. And Sharon and Hilo are about to try to go steal a ship. And they're, like, on the side of a building, basically. Or, like, a second level of a building or something. And two number sixes walk out. And Hilo is watching them. And then as they leave, he looks up and he sees another Sharon. And this Sharon pulls her weapon. But then his Sharon shoots her. And he just runs. And she yells after him, but he's just running and thinking about all the times that Sharon hasn't been tired or wasn't affected by the elements or was able to just show up and kill somebody at the right moment to save him. And now he knows he's been fracking a Cylon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he... I mean, yeah, his like his brain just would like completely collapse right in that moment. He, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like you know, when you get broken up with or something. You're like thinking back to all the times. Oh, I ignored all these signs. Yeah, I'm an idiot. I'm going for a run. <laughs> going back just a little bit uh, when Rosalind and. Um, uh, Adama are about to dance. Uh, the line he says, "I'm a patriot." Like it, it's very stalwart the way he says it. Um, it's a very solid character moment for him, I think. Uh, it just makes me think about you know the next six or so episodes of him, how he handles some of the fallout that we're gonna that we're gonna see versus how Ty handles it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just pretty interesting in, in, you know, so. Yep. So, um, Ron Moore said the heavy security on the ship was intended to convey the post nine 11 reliance on security measures in the United States. So them going through metal detectors and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I barely even registered the metal detectors because it's such a part of our lives Mm. Mm. and it has been for so long now that i just don't even i don't even think about them anymore yeah you're right the idea of the press focusing their attention on whether or not president Rosalind would shake zarek's hand and how it could be seen politically was inspired by the oslo accord signed in september 1993 there was much debate as to if PLO Chairman Yasser Arafat and Israeli Prime Minister Yishak Rabin would shake hands. And 
um, Ron Moore did talk about that a little bit on his podcast as well. Yeah. That he sort of based it on that. So that is before I was paying attention to politics because I was not watching the West Wing in 1993. <laughs> that didn't come out until later. <laughs> so was Baltar the worst this week? Um, No, he wasn't. He actually he was not the worst. No. Grimes yeah. Grimes is who I picked. Really? I did not like that guy. <laughs> He's just in there picking fights with Lee. What are you doing? <laughs> you know what's funny? That whole scene, we're, actually, we're going way back, but actually that whole scene, I actually was kind of like, Lee was a little bit, was a lot a bit in the wrong, actually. Like well, he, was, yeah. he was taking digs at, personal digs, like talking about the guy like he was kind of like this uh, subhuman it was almost it was kind of like you know it reminded me it reminds me of like you know like a lot when I'm in a public place sometimes and like you know Fox News is on or something and and uh, somebody or like some station is on someone doesn't want to watch the news and then other another person's like well, get over it you know yeah. um, and I, I actually feel like Lee should have been just stayed in his lane and just sat there but he was also drunk. And so that that was contributing to his, you know, being kind of a a, a pill in that moment. Not to say well, that the, not to say that Grimes was like a likable guy. Hey, he uh, hit him over the head with a beer bottle. Yeah, he just like he definitely he definitely was like a thuggish. And then tried to choke him out. Yeah, but I, I'm just saying like that that whole sequence wouldn't have happened if Lee had just like you know. <laughs> And like keep keep it. I don't know. Like in real you life, I'm in real life. Lee's I'm just a, like Lee's a patriot too. Okay, yeah. and he just couldn't with this nonsense about Zarek. Yeah, I'm like I'm a I'm a kind of a live and let live person. So even if I don't agree <laughs> with you, I'm just like okay. Like I don't. I might not necessarily like what this person's doing, but I'm just. I don't need to make a make it all about me. And that's what I felt like Lee did in that moment. So, okay. Yeah. Who got full colors? Um. Full colors. I actually, I kind of batted this around a lot. I wasn't really sure, but I actually, I put Starbuck because I, because I liked, uh, I liked that scene with the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> I said Apollo or Rosalind. I definitely did not. They think both Rosalind. had a really good episode. Yeah, I definitely Rosalind is a little too gray for me to give her full colors but she definitely navigated her situation well so okay throw them out the airlock <laughs> I, I had a i had dual dual ones for this one i zarek and ellen <laughs> together just. yeah together yeah uh i'll agree with that i said grimes because i just really didn't like that guy but i can agree with zarek or ellen are we going to switch it to the firing squad and when we get to season four? <laughs> <laughs> Just for that one episode. Yeah. Who's your favorite Cylon this week? <laughs> I wrote Sharon <laughs> for that one scene in the dress with her She's hair. Kind so. of the only option. I didn't yeah. have anyone because none of them really did anything great. And, you know, Sharon on Caprica tried she tried yeah but failed this week i mean i i have sharon for 
her the yeah i have a boomer sharon as my favorite and it's purely because she looked really cute for not even two seconds it was one second (laughs) all right where can people find you um, you find me everywhere, man. Um, I am on uh, my novel slash podcast, The First Noel Chronicles. Uh, find me at, at an Instagram account. I also I do uh, reading of my novel, and I am also on uh, TV Obscura uh, from with podcasting After Dark Guys. Um, we have an episode coming out. Of, well, it'll be in the past by the time this comes out, but. Um, we're talking about tropical TV shows this week from the 90s, early 90s. Um, and I just started a new uh, endeavor called Boops of Life, which is me doing readings of some like stuff I've written over the years um, that's mostly like mindset, inspirational stuff to help you get through the day if you might need it, a little pick-me-ups here or there. Um, I do short form videos that are about 30 seconds to a minute during the week. And then every Friday we're shooting for like a longer form video that's a little bit more expansive. Uh, So that's where you can find me. Okay. I believe. Uh, You can find the show on Twitter at at GalactActPod. You can send us emails at GalacticaActuallyPodcast at gmail.com. You can hear my past podcast endeavors at the Unspoiled Network. I was on Doctor Who, Lost, Band of Brothers, Punisher, Vampire Diaries. And I guess if you want to tweet at me, just me, it's at Jamie. Or it's at It's Jamie. Let's spell my name right or you'll get someone else. How do you spell my name? I don't know. I'm not going to tell you. And next week, we start the season one finale, Cobol's Last Gleaming, part one. Any pre-thoughts about that? Um, as a matter of fact, I do. Uh, okay. as, as you know, I have been watching the original Battlestar Galactica, and there is a precedent for this episode. <laughs> That's all I'll okay. say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm pretty, I'm, I can't wait to read how they never. <laughs> <laughs> they never, ever watched it. I never, I don't know. Writers never watched it. And, you know, <laughs> it's actually not the, like, it's just sort of like the idea is there, but they're, I'm, they're nothing alike, really. So. Okay. Well, until then, what do you hear? Nothing but the rain. Bye. See ya. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.